We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, Hebrews 4. As you're doing that, I want to draw your attention to our guest registration cards. If you are a guest with us today, we would ask that you would take this card, you would fill out information that you see here and drop this in the offering plate later in the service when we receive our offering. That would be your gift to us as a guest this morning, just to let us know that you were here with us in worship today so that we can follow up with you. We want to be able to help connect you to a group where you can study the Bible with other believers. We want to be able to pray with you and, and also just help you navigate the course of God's, God's journey for your life spiritually. And so if you'll fill that out, let us know that you're here today. Also, as you came in this morning, you received a worship guide. And inside of the worship guide, there's lots of useful information about things that are happening in the, the near future in the life of our church. I would encourage you to take that and read it, know it as well. All right, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. We're going to jump right into our text this morning because of the Lord's Supper that we'll be celebrating together in, in a little while, and, and that just takes a little bit of time. We're, we're going to just roll right into this without much in the way of introduction this morning because I want to, uh, of course, preserve some time that we need at the end to celebrate this together. Hebrews 4.14, we read, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. These, past, these verses in this particular passage, Hebrews 4, 14, 15, 16, really are the, the hinge, if you will, upon which the, the entire message of the book of Hebrews swings. I shared with you when we got into this study that in all likelihood, Hebrews originally existed as a sort of a sermon, a sermon letter. It doesn't follow the traditional pattern that many of the other letters in the New Testament follow, where there's a standard introduction and then uh, some, some opening remarks, then what we would call paranesis, which is just a fancy word for the point of what the author is trying to say, and then they wrap it up, they bring it to a close, and they say their goodbyes. It's standard letter format, right? We follow a very similar format today when we write a letter, an email, something of that nature. But the, the way Hebrews reads, it reads more like a sermon that has been manuscripted out here, that has been written out and shared with the audience. And the audience, of course, are a group of Jews who have given their lives to Christ, but now are trying to wrestle and live with that tension of their Jewish heritage in contrast with this new life in Christ. The, the Jewish customs, the Jewish laws, the Jewish sacrifices in those ways and how that fits together with the right understanding and even a right practice of their Christian faith. And the writer of Hebrews writes beautifully to, to weave all of these things together in such a way so that we see how it all makes sense. And it's all telling the story of what God has been doing from the beginning and reaching out to us so that we might know him. And again and again, verse after verse, we see that Jesus is greater than everything else in this world. So we've, we've called this study greater than. And in this passage that we see this morning, we find what I would say is really the, the, the centerpiece of, of this message to the Hebrews. And there are two particular instructions that we see in these verses 
that are key. Everything else that is said prior to this point and everything else that will come after this swings on this simple instruction that we would hold fast and draw near that we see in this passage this morning. So let's study this together. Now, in order to understand what is, is being written here, we, we have to understand the, the role of the high priest in the Jewish system. There were, there were 12 tribes of Israel. The 12, the, the 12 tribes were sort of like the, the divisions of the people of Israel. And inside of those 12 tribes, there was one tribe that were set aside as the priestly tribe, the tribe of Levi. They were known as the Levites, uh, not like Levi's like their genes, right? Uh, well, it was kind of their genes, but not their blue genes, right? A different kind of genes, right? Their genetics. The tribe of Levi were known as the, the, the priests, and so the priests came from the tribe of Levi, but within the, the structure, the system of the, the priest, there was a hierarchy of sorts, and at the top was the high priest. And the high priest was the one every year who would enter into the holy place and then proceed even further into the holy of holies and would offer forgiveness, offer sacrifices, I should say, for the forgiveness of the sins of the people on the high holy day known as Yom Kippur. And so this, this, was, all a part of, this was all part of the system that God had established and given to the children of Israel. We can read a lot about that in the Old Testament law particularly in the book of Deuteronomy. So the high priest plays a very crucial and important role because he is the one who makes atonement for the sins of the people every year. He is the one that offers the sacrifices that were intended to pay the price for the sins of the children of Israel. But in Hebrews, we see that Jesus is a new and better high priest, whereas the high priest in the Old Testament system and the system of the law would have to go in year after year and offer a sacrifice for the, the sins of the people of Israel. We're going to learn in Hebrews chapter 9 that Jesus offered himself once and for all. His payment of sins is final once and for all. It doesn't have to be repeated year after year, but he gave his life as the ultimate sacrifice. And what's interesting is that he was not only the sacrifice, but he was also the priest, the mediator of the sacrifice, the mediator of the covenant, the one who makes atonement between God and men. And so the central theme in, in much of Hebrews is this idea of Jesus' role as the mediator of this covenant. So, Jesus' role functioning as the, the high priest on behalf of the people, but he's a, a better high priest than any earthly, than any, than any human high priest could be because, of course, he was not only the one mediating the sacrifice, he literally was the sacrifice offered up for us, right? And as, as we delve into the depths of what this means, we're going to spend the better part of Hebrews chapter 5, and then when we get into chapter 7 as well, examining what this, this is. Uh, examining who is this guy Melchizedek, and, and, and what is the, the role of Melchizedek in the priesthood, and, and how does that equate to Jesus and the role that Jesus plays? And that'll, that'll come in in weeks to come as we, as we dig deeper and go further with all of this. But what's important for us to see this morning in this passage in particular is that because Jesus functions as the high priest over his people, that he is able to do for us, to offer up himself for us, to accomplish what we could never accomplish on our own. The high priest has done for us what we could never hope to do, and that he has made a way for us to be forgiven 
for our sins. So the first instruction is this, simply, that we would hold fast to our confession of faith, that we would hold fast, right? It says in verse 14, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, of course, is this great high priest, who's passed through the heavens, let us hold fast our confession. When you think of holding fast, the, the words hold fast literally just mean that we would, that we would hold on to, that we would that we would stay close to and hold on to that confession of faith. In other words, that it would be dear to us, that it would be important to us. When you think about holding fast to something, you, you think of something that is dear, that you, want to, that you want to maintain possession of, that you want to hold on to. Every year in August, we have the, the booth that our church sets up at the Grady County Fair. And in the particular spot where we set up for the Grady County Fair, on a couple of different sides of us are, are some other booths that typically are giving away balloons, these, you know, these giant balloons. In particular, every year, Lifeline Healthcare next to us give away these giant purple balloons that are big enough that I'm pretty sure some of the kids are going to float away. I'm, I've always been waiting to see that happen because uh, it's going to happen. I just believe it, right? And as they give these balloons to, to kids, it, every time it happens, you see the same story play out again and again with parents, right? It's like, you got to hold on to this, you know, and, and they want to tie a little loop around the end and slide it around the wrist. And of course, every parent wants to slide the loop around the child's wrist and what's every child want to do? No, I don't want that, right? I, want, I just want to hold it. And by the end of the weekend, in just the three short days that the county fair happens, you can look up above our booths and you can count no less typically than somewhere between 20 and 30 balloons there in the ceiling, right? And, and within a few days, they come down, of course. And, uh, but but that, that idea of what parents are saying to their kids, hold on to this, right? Hold, hold fast, hold on. That's the picture of what the writer of Hebrews is saying here when he talks about holding fast to our faith. We're to hold on to it. We're to have a firm grasp of that confession of faith because of, its, because of its, its importance to us, right? Because that confession is dear to us. Because it's, in, in many ways, we, we, it would be appropriate for us to use the word sacred. That our faith and our confession of faith, because it's sacred to us, we should hold fast to that, that all-important confession of our faith, he says. It's interesting that as he, as he talks about this, then he begins to describe how well we are known by Jesus. In verse 15, he says... We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus being our high priest was a perfect high priest. See, what separates Jesus from every other high priest, what separates Jesus from every other man or woman that has ever lived, is that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. So when he offered himself on the cross as payment for our sin, he was offering in every way a perfect, a spotless, a blemishless sacrifice by offering himself as payment for our sin. And so we see that we can hold fast to this confession of faith because we know Jesus, our high priest. We know Jesus as our high priest. We, we know him. We, we, we have faith in him. We have understood what he has done for us. We, we see the scriptures. We read that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. We understand that he was the one who 
who was the perfect spotless lamb. See, when the high priest would offer up the, the lamb every year at, at the feast of Yom Kippur, that was the, the, the day of atonement, he would offer a, a spotless lamb, a lamb without any defect or a lamb without any blemish. We understand that that was a foreshadowing of a greater lamb to come, that Jesus was the spotless lamb. We also understand that on the day of Yom Kippur, the high priest would take another spotless lamb and he would cast the sins of the people onto this other lamb and they would lead the lamb out into the wilderness to wander in the wilderness. That's where we get the term the scapegoat because it's the one that the sins of the people were cast upon that animal and that animal was released into the the wilderness. Jesus was the scapegoat. Jesus was the one who took our sin on himself who offered himself up as payment for us. It's a beautiful picture of things to come, and we know this because we see the role that Jesus plays as our high priest. But it's not just that we know Jesus and that we know these things about Jesus, but importantly, we can hold fast because Jesus is our high priest and we are known by him. He knows us, right? It's not just that we know Jesus as the high priest, But Jesus, our high priest, knows us as well. We see that he was tempted in every way that we were tempted and yet without sin. He can sympathize with our weaknesses because Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was tempted, but he did not give in. So because Jesus has made a way for us, because Jesus is our high priest, Because Jesus is not only the sacrifice, but the mediator of the sacrifice between us and God. We we can hold fast to that confession of faith. You know, it's been said many times in many different ways, something along the lines of this, right? That, that That we are holding on to him, but more importantly, he is holding on to us. Jesus himself was the one who said, that no one would be able to snatch us out of his hand. John chapter 10, Jesus says that, that he would hold on to us and that no one would be able to snatch us out of his hand. So it's not just that we know him, but we are known by him. And because of that, we can hold fast to that confession of faith. But secondly, we see this as well. Not only are we told to hold fast, but also to draw near. And that's an important point as well. See, it would be one thing if we held on to this confession of faith in in the distance from God, seeing God, knowing who he is, in reverence, in honor, in respect of who he is, but it's another thing entirely that we can draw near to him, that we can have an intimate fellowship with him, that we are not just able to know him, but be known by him in a relationship with him, right? Right? Think about how amazing this is, that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, invites us in to a relationship with himself so that not only do we hold on to that confession of faith that I believe in Jesus, but we draw near so that we know him intimately in a relationship with him. And he talks about drawing near to the throne. The throne, of course, is the picture of where Jesus is now. It's the picture of of his 
his, his position where he, where he is at the right hand, seated at the right hand of God, which is just to say it's, it's a way for us to understand his authority, right? The authority that, that, he, that he has because he is literally God himself as, as part of the Trinity. But this picture of Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of God is his authority over all things, including this, this world, which we've seen already in Hebrews chapter 1, is his footstool, meaning that he has, he has subjected everything in this world under his authority as God over all, creator over all, as ruler over all things by conquering sin and death. And now we draw near to him. So we see that this throne is a throne of grace, and that is so important when we think about this, right? It's described here that we draw near to the throne of of grace. See, grace is first and foremost is the position of the throne. Grace is the position of Jesus' throne. Now, the elections are coming up in, in a matter of just a few days now, really. In, in a little over a week, we will vote uh, on, on not only the local elections, state elections, national elections, God help us all, right? I mean, the elections are just around the corner. And as we are thinking about and and, and vetting the candidates and, and, and looking at their positions, right? We want to know, what does this person stand for? What do they believe? What do they intend to do if they win office? That's their position on an issue, right? And so you can go on their website. You can, you can look and see how they answer questions. You, you, can, you can get to know a candidate, and we have some understanding of the kind of leader that they will be by understanding their position on certain issues. And this is, what, this is what Hebrews teaches us. This is Christ's position on the issue of sin. Is his position is, is one of grace. That he desires to give grace to those who would come to him humbly asking for forgiveness. He desires to, to release us from the burden of sin, setting us free from, from the necessary payment of sin because he paid the price for us. His position is one of grace. So we learn that this, this throne where Jesus rests with his, all of his authority is, is positioned by grace. But not only is it the position of the throne, it's the provision of the throne as well. And that is also so significant and so important for us to understand. Not only is the throne a throne of, of grace in that the position of Jesus, that his desire is to offer grace, but the provision, meaning that what he, what he freely gives to us through the cross, through his death, his payment for our sin, his authority over all things in this world, he now extends freely to us grace. I've heard it described many times that grace is unmerited favor. It's unmerited favor, which just essentially means this, that grace is when you don't get something that you deserve. When God has shown favor to us by giving us forgiveness that we do not deserve, that we could not deserve, then we have received his grace. But not only grace, it says here, mercy. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy is, is really, in, in many ways, the opposite of our understanding of grace. If grace is unmerited favor, if grace is us receiving something that we didn't deserve, mercy is when God withholds something that we do deserve. And what we deserve, of course, is his wrath. We deserve punishment for our sin. 
but because God chose to pour out that punishment on Jesus, our high priest, the mediator of the covenant between us and God, we can now be forgiven. And so we can boldly, with confidence, it says, we can approach the throne of grace. In ancient cultures, in, in these kingdoms of the world, this, in the particular time that this would have been written, the Romans still ruled the, the world. The Romans were, were the dominant power, the dominant of, uh, authority in, in the world at this time. And, and even at this time, the Roman government had transitioned under the rule of a Caesar. And in ancient culture, if you, if you came into the presence of a king or, or a Caesar or the, the, the high ruler, the monarch, without being summoned for, it was considered a treasonable offense. Because essentially, it, it was as if you were there to, to kill him, Right? I mean, if you entered into the presence of the king without being summoned, they had no other choice but to assume that you were there to do him harm, and so you would be punished. No one came in the presence of the king without being first summoned for. You came when you were called for. That was the way that it worked unequivocally. And yet, what we see here is that because Jesus is the mediator of this covenant between us and God. We can come before him. We can approach his throne with confidence, knowing that he is ready to receive us, knowing that he will welcome us with open arms into his presence because he knows us and wants to be known by us because he's the mediator of this covenant of grace so that we see that grace is not only his position, but it's his provision. He gave himself for us payment for our sins. So because of this, we should hold fast to our confession of faith. We should hold fast to what we believe. Increasingly in the day and age when we, in which we live, the world around us is, is increasingly drawing these lines of opposition against our Christian faith. But believers, we need to hold fast to what we believe. Now, we need to do that in the way that Peter has instructed us to do. In 1 Peter 3.15, he tells us to do it with gentleness and with respect, to always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have in Jesus and to do it with gentleness and with respect. We don't need to, to uh, try to beat anybody over the head. Uh, I, I'm not sure that anyone has ever been bludgeoned into the kingdom of God, right? It doesn't work that way. We need to set an example. We need to make, we need to make faith in Christ inviting. We need to we need to live out our faith in such a real and a vibrant, authentic way that others desire what it is that we have. But we must hold fast to this confession of faith. We don't change what we believe because the culture changes their position on certain issues, right? Instead, we hold fast to the confession of faith. And we, we don't seek the approval of the world around us, the world at large, as if somehow we need that approval in order to affirm the truths that we hold. Instead, we draw near to the throne of grace, believing that all of the approval that we will ever need came when Jesus offered himself on the cross for us. Let us hold fast to our confession of faith. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Everything else that we see in the book of Hebrews hinges upon this truth, that we would hold fast to that confession, that we would draw near to the throne of grace. You know, as we begin to understand the role that Jesus plays as this high priest, this mediator of a covenant between us and God, it becomes so important in, 
in understanding all that He has done for us. And in just a moment this morning, we're going to celebrate what it is that Jesus has done for us through observing the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper, we understand, is intended to be a reminder to us, a a sacred reminder of sorts of what Jesus did when he offered himself for us. And so we read in, in the Gospels that in that night, as Jesus shared that meal, that supper with his disciples, as he took the bread and broke the bread, he talked about how this bread is symbolic of my body, which is to be broken for you. And as they took the cup, the cup of redemption, the third cup offered in the, in the Passover Seder, and he offered up this cup, he said, this cup is a covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. His body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. And then he says, and as often as you do this, remember me. And so this is a reminder to us of what Jesus has done for us as the mediator of our covenant, as the one who gave himself for us. And in light of that truth, may we draw near to him. May we hold fast to that confession of faith. This morning as we prepared for this, I really want this to be a time of, a time of prayer, a time of reflection. And so it's going to take a few minutes as as we call our men forward in just a moment and we begin to set things in in order here. It it takes just a moment. And as we do that, the music will begin to play. And as the music is playing, I really hope that you will treat this as a time of prayer and reflection. That you will use this as a moment to think on your life. Have you drawn near to God in confidence of his love for you? Are you holding fast to that confession of faith, that Jesus is the one who gave himself as the sacrifice for your sin, then would you use this moment as your chance to reflect on those truths, think deeply on those thoughts as we honor and worship the one who gave himself as the sacrifice for us. I want to invite our deacon men to come forward now and take their places, and as they do that, our musicians are going to come as well. And I would invite you, I would invite you to Position yourself in a posture of prayer and worship in this moment so that you will be able to, you will be able to to really reflect and think deeply on what it is that Jesus has done for you. He gave himself up as the high priest, the covenant between us and God. Sweet Jesus. 
Jesus Christ is my clarity. First Corinthians chapter 11, we read about this, this celebration of this supper, this last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. Paul is writing about it, and it's here that he refers to it as the Lord's Supper. And he says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three: for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take. 
In the same way after that, we see that he took the cup as well. May you continue in a moment of prayer and reflection as we prepare to pass the cup so that we can celebrate that part of the supper together as well.
Listen to these words that the writer of Hebrews shares with us. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 9. He writes about this in verse 11. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. He's talking, of course, about the, the Old Testament sacrificial system. He says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. Jesus gave himself as the mediator, the high priest, by offering not the blood of an animal, but his own blood as payment for our sins. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 11, in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink. In remembrance of me. Take. Thank you. Thank you to our men. They may go back to their seats as well. We're going to prepare now to enter into our time of invitation. And in this moment, this is, this is a time where we would invite you to come. Maybe you're here today and for the first time, you've, you've really begun to understand that Jesus gave himself up for me. You, you really see that he offered his life as payment for your sin. Today, if you would be ready to surrender your life to Jesus, to receive by faith the promise of eternal life, that eternal inheritance that it speaks of in Hebrews, through faith in Jesus, then would you come during our invitation today? We'll be here at the front, ready to receive you, ready to pray a prayer of faith with you you commit your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you've already entrusted your life to Christ, but you know that there's, there's some distance, right? What you need more than anything is to put 
the words this morning into practice, that you would hold fast to your confession of faith, and that you would draw near with confidence to the throne of grace this morning. Would you draw near to him? Our altars will be open for you to come and pray this morning. I would encourage you, if the Lord is speaking, that you would move, that you would act. There's something important, something powerful when we, when we step out of what's comfortable and we act on what the Lord is calling us to do. So our altars will be open, and I would encourage you, if the Lord is speaking to you this morning, if he's drawing you near, you would come and kneel before him in prayer here at the altar and just say this, Lord Jesus, I want to be close to you. Help me draw near. What we read is that you will receive grace from his throne. It's both the position but also the provision of his throne. Would you pray with me? God, now in this moment of invitation, I, I, I hope that you will continue to speak and work and move in our hearts, Lord. And now as we respond by faith to you, God, may you, may you draw near to us as we hold fast to our faith in you. We pray in your name. As we stand to sing together this morning, if the Lord is speaking, if he's drawing you, would you come now in this moment? On the cross, blood and water flow, the Son of Man was lifted high, his body broken, broken for the world. Jesus, Jesus, healer, be lifted up, come be lifted up, your King.